Principal Matters Podcast, episode 261. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, I'm bringing you part three of a keynote series that I did last month when I was invited to speak at the Archdiocese of Louisville's Welcome Back Ceremony for their educators from 39 pre-K, eight schools and nine high schools collectively serving students in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Listen in to hear research about the power of friendships when facing adversity, how important it is to acknowledge those who are influencing you and packing your parachutes, and considering the importance of your legacy as an educator. I did want to say, about midway into this keynote, I share a story from the authors C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien when they're discussing the loss or death of a mutual friend whose name is Charles Williams. And what I share in this keynote is a paraphrase of a much longer quote that Lewis provides. If you want to see the quote itself, it's, in my book on page 47 of Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator, or if you simply want me to just share that quote with you, reach out and I'll be glad to point you toward that source. I hope you have enjoyed this series. If you haven't listened back to the past two episodes, please do. As you're stepping into this new school year and semester, thank you so much for the work that you do, and I'll talk to you again soon. A couple of years ago, my wife showed me a book she was reading by Chantel Nelson. It was a book on how to have great girlfriend relationships. I'm not recommending it because I didn't read it. Um, but she showed me a chapter. Um, it was actually while I was working on this book, and it was so intriguing. But Chantel Wilson uh, mentions a piece of research from 2008. I don't know how researchers get grant money to do this, but these researchers had taken time to pull all these individuals together and study levels of anxiety. And one of the tests that they did was they would place a person in front of a large incline, a hill, and they would um, ask them to estimate how long it would take for them to climb that incline. And so they would notate the, the, the length of, that they thought the incline was or how long they were going to, to do that. So they ran a study with people being asked that question individually. And then they ran a second study where they had that person asked that question with a friend or someone close to them standing beside them. And guess what they discovered? And this was why the research was significant, and I don't have the numbers, but I, I can re reference, it's in the book if you want to reference the research. Well, what they discovered was that the amount of time that it would take to climb the incline significantly decreased when someone was standing by you. When I heard that research, I thought, that is so powerful, because how often as educators do we pride ourselves sometimes in our independence and isolation, and we forget that we climb better with others? Your friendships, they matter, and they matter at your, in your workplace, they matter outside of work, but knowing that you're linking arms with others always helps you climb better. 
I don't know if you guys um, are familiar with the work of J.R.R. Tolkien. How many of you guys love Tolkien? Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, or, or C.S. Lewis's work, The Chronicles of Narnia. I love C.S. Lewis. You know, those guys were friends, and they were in a group together that would often uh, gather around literature and drinks, and they would talk about life and philosophy and religion. And they had a mutual friend whose name was Charles Williams. And when Charles Williams died, Lewis wrote a letter to J.R.R. Tolkien. And he said in that letter something that I read and it made me pause. He said to Tolkien, now that Charles has died, there will be parts of you that I will never see again and parts of me that you will never see again. And it made me pause because it made me realize that your relationships with others bring out parts of you that you cannot discover on your own. That's beautiful. But it's also inspiring to think about why it matters that we stay connected. Because there are parts of you that other people need that are not visible until you're in community. And so this year, I want to encourage you, as you're stepping back into school, to not give up on staying connected. One of the biggest mistakes that I made in those years that I told you, the drought that I went through professionally, was I was so committed to the work. I had stopped eating lunch with friends. I was just running all the time. And so one of the first commitments I made with some of my colleagues was that I was going to eat lunch again. I know that sounds like a big deal, but it's what I said. I was going to eat, start eating lunch again with friends. So to pull together with other colleagues and at least have conversation, to laugh together, to talk about kids, to gossip, all those things that you get to do when you can reconnect. And so I just want to encourage you that that accountability makes a huge difference. Another decision that I made that required accountability was to leave my office and my school so I could spend time with my family. And so one of my colleagues I confided in her, another administrator, that this was where we were, that I, you know, my wife and I were struggling with my balance, and so she, she would stop by my office on her way out of the building every day and say, Will, your kids need you more than the school. Go home now. And it worked because the mutual accountability provided me with a, a measure of strength I didn't have on my own. And so I just want to encourage you to think about these things as you, as you consider your friendships this year. How can, you be, how can you be committed to mutual accountability? How can you stay committed to the life support that happens within community? Because you need one another. You have families that have struggled and suffered because of the loss of a loved one through COVID. And there, I would say that everybody in this room knows someone at this point who has suffered. We, we lost a mother this week in our community, the same age as my wife, with three high school students at home. How do, you, how do you make it through that? You make it through that with the life support of the others around you who love you. Your friendships provide you opportunities for reflection. Which means that good friends listen. We take the opportunity sometimes not to always give advice, but just to be present. And then friendships provide us the opportunity to to be better versions of ourselves, but also to bring out the best in others too and to call them back to the best that's in them too. So I just want to encourage you with this story. 
Charlie Plum was an, a Navy captain who flew dozens of missions from the from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk during the Vietnamese War, and he had was flying a mission when he was shot down and captured and imprisoned in a Vietnamese concentration camp for six and a half years. And I became aware of Charlie's story because one morning I came into school and a student had left me a note on my desk. And when I opened it up, it was the story about Charlie Plum, who was shot down, who had been placed in the concentration camp, and then after the war was over, he had come back to his small town, and as he was reconnecting with his family and, and recovering from the trauma, one night he was at dinner when an older gentleman stepped up to his table and he said, excuse me, sir, are you Captain Plum? And Charlie stood up and said, I am. And the man said, you probably don't know me, but I was a sailor on the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk and I packed your parachute. And Charlie grabbed him by the hands and he was like, I've, I've thought many, many times, who was the person who packed that parachute that saved my life when I came down. And the guy said, well, how did it work? And he goes, well, one of the panels broke, but otherwise it saved my life. <laughs> and he, so they exchanged pleasantries. And that night, Charlie Plum went home and he couldn't sleep. And he got up and he wrote the story I'm telling you right now. And he said, I asked myself the question, how many times had I walked on the platform of that ship, on the deck of that ship, and donned my captain's uniform and felt proud of my position as, as a pilot but never once had I gone into the bowels of that ship to see who was packing my parachute. How many people did I say that, that I never thanked for the work that they were doing that made my work possible? And the reason I wanted to pause here was to ask you the same question. Who's packing your parachute? Somebody's doing it right now at the school. Somebody's been helping you in your life outside of school. There are people sitting here in this room right now who've packed parachutes for you in different ways too. And as you step into this school year, I think it's important for us to stay connected to those relationships and to take a moment to say thank you. So I'm going to ask you to do something you don't let your kids do. I'm going to ask you to pull your cell phones for just a moment. Go ahead. Technology time. Woo! Pull your cell phones. You think I'm joking. Find your cell phone. I want you to open up your cell phones. If you have one. If you don't have one, then congratulations on your... Commitment to balance. I want you to think of somebody who's packed your parachute, who you have, it's been a while since you've said thank you. And I want just 30 seconds. I just want you to compose a quick little message of, hey, just thinking about you, thank you for whatever that is, fill in the blank. So I'm going to be quiet, and I want you to just send a quick thank you to somebody who's packed your parachute. Can you do that? Ready? Go. As you're finishing up those messages, I want you to, when you get that response back here in just a little bit, um, if I see a hand go up, then I'm going to realize somebody's responding back to you. There's a reason I wanted you to practice that, too, while you're finishing this up, is, and that's because how long did it take you right now to positively influence someone else? How long did that take? about 30 seconds. I, I read a lot and I do a lot of research on school improvement because I, I get to work with teachers and educators and sometimes the research can be overwhelming because 
schools that show significant student growth academically, often it takes three to five years of like collaborative work and everyone sharing the same goals and missions and moving towards that goal. And that collaborative work takes a lot of time and investment. And those of you that are stepping into a school that maybe is shifting or growing in different ways, you might be looking down the long road and thinking, man, this may take a while for us to reach these goals. Or maybe you're on a trajectory with a school that's already at that point and you want to make sure you stay committed to that. But it only takes sometimes one minute to positively change the people or influence the people that are around you. So don't let the long-term goals distract from the short-term opportunity that you have to be a positive influence. This is a picture of me when I was six years old. I tried to find a cute one. Um, I grew up in Northwest Tennessee and my family, who you can't see in this photo because of how far away you are, but my mom and dad have six children. And in this photo, there was just five of us at the time and my grandmother. We were moving when dad got out of the Navy back to Northwest Tennessee. My mom and dad both grew up in Tennessee. My father uh, dropped out of high school when he was 17 years old and joined the military. My mother graduated from high school and never went to college. And when dad left the military and came back to Northwest Tennessee, we moved back to the farm where my grandparents lived. And dad worked lots of odd jobs. He was an electrician. He was a maintenance man for our school. Later, he finished his military career and then started his own business as a small business owner of a, of, of a marine salvage business. And it wasn't until I went to college and left home and was in my first teaching position and was helping figure out which of my kids were filling out all the forms for enrollment. And you may or may not do this at your school, but we had kids who would qualify for free and reduced lunches. And I suddenly realized, that's me. All through my elementary school and junior high and high school years, we always qualified for free and reduced lunches. And now that I knew the income standards of what that meant, I realized why my school provided me with those kinds of services, why I had an additional tutor sometimes for reading that was provided to me probably through a Title I fund. But you know what I didn't know as a child? I didn't know that I was a struggling kid because no one ever told me. You know what my teachers told me instead? They told me that I could be something great. They told me I was becoming a better reader. My eighth grade English teacher, Rita Owen, pulled me aside and said, well, I think you should go into advanced English next year because you've become such a good writer. And little did she know that that moment was the inspiration for what I would do later as a teacher. You have the opportunity this year to pack parachutes, and you're doing it in ways that you have no idea. I was telling my daughter one day as we were driving back from school that sometimes it's really weird when you recognize your own story to know how to tell it in a way that doesn't sound self-promoting. And she said to me, Dad, that won't be a problem as long as you give credit to the people who deserve it. And so... This is where I always get emotional, so I have to get a drink. But So every time I take a platform, I take an opportunity to thank the people who are responsible for getting me here, that were responsible for helping me become a teacher and an administrator and someone who's been able to have a career that I've loved. 
And that's Rita Owen, my eighth grade English teacher. It's Charles Kate, my, my principal, who would play basketball with us at lunch and come do art with us during the school day. It's Desmond Adams, who taught me mathematics, but also he taught me about life and, and integrity and determination. And this year, you're going to have kids in your classroom who are going to be looking at you and you're going to have no idea that you're teaching them more than math and science and English. You're teaching them about life. Which brings us to our last area, which is the legacy that you're leaving behind you. You know, John McCain was asked before he passed away, how do you want to be remembered? And that great senator, that former pilot himself who'd been a captive of war said, I want my tombstone to say he served his country and I'd like them to add the word honorably. I don't want to be morbid, but have you ever thought about what you want on your tombstone? Because I think what we want others to say about us is, is important. And so as you think about this school year, I want you to consider these things about your own legacy. First, I'm going to say two things that sound very contradictory. Are you ready? You are not as important as you think. Now, I'm going to follow that up in just a moment. But the reason I'm saying that is this. Sometimes we step into our work and we think that what we're doing is the most important thing in the whole universe. It's not. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. And sometimes we give ourselves way too much credit and we think this school could not exist without me. It will. It will exist without you someday. Someday your students are going to, they're going to remember you, but that school will move on and you'll become a faded memory in the time and the place that that school existed. And that's just the way life works. So give yourself the moment of reality to realize, hey, I'm not the most important thing in the world and stay humble. But two, you are more important than you think. How can I say both of those? I can say both of those because on the one hand, humility is important, but on the other hand, recognizing that every single moment you have with a child matters because they remember your attitude as much as your words. When they go home at night and they're at the dinner table with their families, they talk about you. Did you know that? You know why I know? I have four kids. And they talk about you. And guess what they talk about? They, very seldom is it about the content. It's almost always about your attitude or your whatever that, that funny thing you said that day or the way you inspired them or how angry you were or how unfair they felt that was. <laughs> Those are the things they talk about. And so ask yourself each day, how am I moving the needle with my kids every hour, every time of the day? How am I moving that needle to push them in a positive direction? Relationships are more important than outcomes because guess what happens when we invest in positive, healthy relationships? We have better outcomes and so stay connected to each other and to your students and to your communities this year. Stay committed no matter how hard this pandemic gets that you're going to stay trustworthy and loving and forgiving and determined to take care of kids except that you both inspire and disappoint. Forgive yourself when you mess up. 
and be willing to stand in front of your kids or your faculty or your peers and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? When I learned that lesson as a teacher, it changed the way my classroom management happened. Because when I messed up and I admitted it, guess what that gave my kids permission to do? It gave them permission to admit when they messed up. And finally, last but not least, you never arrive, but please keep learning this year as well. I want to wrap up. I'm not going to take time for this question because we're almost out of time, but I do want to just give you permission, and this is in an epilogue in the book, so if you want to grab a copy, I want to give yourself permission to have joy in the, in the journey because you know that if you don't find places to laugh every day, then you're going to burn out. So I want to just end with, a, with one of my favorite stories. One day, Jack and Katie, my two youngest, came home from school and where we lived in our neighborhood, we were close enough to the neighborhood school where they went to K-5 that they could walk to school. And so it was so much fun to see them get up in the morning, spin on their backpacks, and head out the door. And Mr. Charlie, who was the crossing guard, stood out every morning to greet them on their way up the hill. And Mr. Charlie loved to talk so much that Jack started leaving for school early because he was afraid he was, was going to be late because of how much Mr. Charlie liked to talk. And so Mr. Charlie would... Every morning would see him, hey, Jack, how are you? And who's your new girlfriend? And, and have, if you pay your mom a dollar, she might drive you next time. And so he'd always have these long conversations with Jack. And then, of course, on their way home, it was Mr. Charlie who met them on the way back across the, the street. And one day I came home from school, and Jack and Katie were waiting for me, and they were just beside themselves. And they said, Dad, Mr. Charlie was not at his spot after school. And I thought, this must be serious because they're serious and I said what do you mean we got to the crosswalk and there was no Mr. Charlie which meant that this had never happened before and I said well how did you get home and they said well we didn't know what to do so we just all started building up on the sidewalk kid after kid after kid and we were all standing there looking because we'd never crossed without Mr. Charlie and so Katie says, so we're standing there and all the kids are building up in this big crowd and finally this kindergartner says, who's the oldest? <laughs> and a fifth grader raised her hand and said, I think I am. And she's, the kindergartner says, you say go first and we'll follow you. <laughs> and so Jack said, these kids, they all held hands. And the fifth grader said, one, two, three, go. And they ran across the road yelling, we're gonna die! <laughs> this year, I want to just encourage you guys to take moments to capture those, because you have them every day. Celebrate those moments. Turn your problem solving into puzzle solving. Build up things that are falling apart. Stay mindful while you're learning. Take time to connect and find humor in the craziness of your kids and engage in those creative, passionate things that bring you joy. And above all, this year, give yourself permission to love your students. Have a great year. Principal Matters listeners, as you are wrapping up this final session of that keynote, I hope that you found some valuable takeaways 
in that conversation about the power of your own influence, the importance of your friendships, the importance of legacy, the importance of laughter. And as you step into this week, I just want to thank you once again for choosing a calling that influences and inspires other people, students, teachers, and communities. If you'd like other resources like this one, you can always reach out to me through my website at williamdparker.com. If you're interested in any of my mastermind executive coaching options or inviting me to speak to your staff or teachers or leadership teams, reach out. I have a limited schedule, but I would be so glad to connect with you. As always, thanks again for doing what matters. We'll talk to you soon.